0: Welcome to the Back in Business podcast, the podcast for small business and self-employed people. Uh, I'm the CEO, Liz Barclay, and I'm talking to Laura Farris, MP for Newbury. Laura co-chairs the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Women and Work. Now, Laura, I know you have a whole list of interests. So we're talking about uh, legal and constitutional affairs, the environment, ethics and sustainability in fashion, but as this is International Women's Day, I would like to concentrate on women and work. Um, just I suppose to kick us off, could you give me an idea? I mean, obviously we deal with the self-employed and small businesses, but what's happening to those in Newbury in your constituency?
1: I think one of the <clears throat> one of the things that doesn't get enough sort of proper. Um, proper analysis is that women and work isn't just a sort of simple theme. It's actually much more difficult than it looks to pick out exactly what's happening to women's employment. In fact, if you look at it as proportion, men's unemployment has gone up more in the pandemic than women's. One of the reasons for that is because there's a high number of women who are employed in the public sector where there haven't been job losses, but there are sectors which disproportionately employ women and which have also been disproportionately affected. And there are, we've discovered, um, factors which are specific to women that have had a very um, strong negative impact on their work. And one of them is, for example, the fact that women do typically still do the lion's share of childcare and domestic duties. And they've had kids at home basically for two terms. And either that that's resulted in some cases in redundancies, whether voluntary or forced or resignations in order to manage that. So it's a bit of a mixed picture. I sometimes find I come on these things and I'm always invited to say, oh, you know, everything's terrible for women's employment. And that fails to appreciate the complexity of it and the fact that women work in every single sector in, you know, very good numbers. Nowadays, the workplace has changed a lot in a generation. But there are trends and there are pressure points. And they've been, they're as you know, common in my constituencies as they are in any other part of the UK. And that's what really we've been working on.
0: Um, and I think you're absolutely right to point out that this is a really complex picture. And of yeah. course, we're hearing from a lot of women who are starting up businesses, running their own small businesses and managing to survive, looking and hoping to thrive once this is over. Um, and it's interesting that Fidelity International brought out some research on Saturday which says one in four women have experienced a fall in income over the past year impacting their long-term financial plans Um, and that means that many of them of course are having to reduce any investment or savings hopes that they might have had or indeed uh, putting money into pensions so that's another aspect of this too. I'm really glad you mentioned that actually um,
1: because one of the things that we don't say enough of, enough about in society is the the gender pension gap, and women, I think particularly self-employed women, are um, you know have have often very poor pension savings. And actually, what happens is I think is that um when income goes down women are much more likely to delve into what they would have put to one side and that can occur at different pressure points it doesn't have to be a global pandemic it can be a period of paternity leave when you're expected to basically self-fund in the way that an employee wouldn't and while there of course there are real benefits to being self employed or to starting your own business there's freedom and there's opportunity and there's innovation and lots of sort of relying on your own wits there's also vulnerability and that and that actually I think particularly plays out in the way that sort of financial security builds, and that's particularly acute during the period where women are most likely to have young kids they're most likely to be using their savings in a kind of in in a way that isn't for their long-term future it's to meet everyday overheads.
0: And I think that plays into a, a second finding that shows that more than half of women have seen their careers mental health or physical well-being negatively Impacted by, by the events of the past year, too. How do we assure that this doesn't have a long term negative impact on the prospects of working women?
1: I mean, if, if, so it's a big question. I I, I think like, again, I the the issues that were, raised, that were raised with me in my constituency that I thought were sort of particularly I suppose emotional were the women who were trying to manage their jobs and and educate their children I've got two young kids it is basically impossible each you know homeschooling one child is basically a full-time job um doing more than one and having to report to your boss or to you know produce work is extraordinarily difficult and I think Actually, it's not even possible to do it without severely compromising the way you do all of that. You know, a tiny bit of homeschooling, a little bit of work is the most you can manage. And still, that's very, very stressful. I think those women have been under very, very specific pressure. And um, I probably have concerned me the most and, 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 and the ones that emailed me. Not only did they write very emotional emails but they made me think immediately of the ones that weren't emailing me because they were too flat out with everything they were doing during the day they didn't have time to contact their MP so I. I kind of had in mind those emails represented many other voices when I received them, but to come back to your question, so I think that. Again, the pressures on women are, they don't, they're they not all the same. For some women, having their kids go back to school is going to be a huge pressure release because they have been working from home. In other words, their job still exists, they're still required to do it, and they will revert to their usual childcare arrangements. And in time, the trauma of having everybody at home will subside. Let's be realistic. There are other women, and where it's more serious, I think, is, is where the job's gone altogether and i was i have to say very pleased by some of the financial um support for the high street i think it's called um well it's the restart grants that were announced in the budget because the small businesses that i've spoken to things like hairdressers who've been closed for the bulk of the last 12 months i know there have been periods when they've been open but you know it's been very erratic and they do employ that's a good example of a business that does employ large numbers of women you know beauty retail, hospitality, all of that has high numbers of women. And the reason why some of those businesses are like are completely on their knees now is that even though they could access the government support all the way through, they often went into the pandemic with things like existing loans that needed to be repaid, commercial rents that they were able to put off for a bit, but they'd still been accumulating and they had to be repaid. And so the fact that they can get up to £18,000 per premises, I think, is going to be the difference between closing the doors permanently and staying afloat, in my constituency anyway, for many of them. So I hope that that is going to provide something of a lifeline women's employment particularly given that the furlough scheme is extended till september because all of those premises could open the door in the next six weeks or so but the extension of the furlough takes into account that they'll have gradual consumer demand returning not everybody will be straining at the seams to get back out onto the high street and so while they're rebuilding and managing their costs they can manage their wage bill without having to go into redundancy so i thought there were some levers in the kind of budget that were very good for women's employment. I wrote a bit about it at the time. Um, but I, I do, I think I do subscribe to probably quite a simple view that the best chance for women's sort of health and mental health is, is security of employment. I, I do think actually the trauma of, well not trauma, but you know, the stress of homeschooling will subside because it is uniquely difficult having, you know, you're meant to have school aged kids home during the holidays, not all the time. And you're certainly not meant to be ba- balancing everything else in your life. And I think that, you know, for some people, it really will, that will just melt away a bit like it did after the first lockdown. Um, But my bigger concern is people who are going to find themselves permanently unemployed because we know that, I mean, that has a much more serious long term effect on people's mental health.
0: Um, I think probably uh, social care is a special case in that there are lots of job opportunities in social care and a lot of women work already in social care but what about the jobs in the new economic environment because when we come out like moles from this lockdown the economy isn't going to look as it looked when we went into it a lot of women as you've pointed out already work in hospitality they work in the beauty sector hairdressers uh, and so on If a lot of those women lose their jobs, is there enough effort, do you think, or enough thinking around about skills, training, and support for those women to move into new sectors?
1: I do think that's a very good question, Liz, actually, Um, because there's, there's two reasons why I think that's a good question. The government has put skills kind of front and center of the recovery package. You probably heard back in, I don't know, the second half of last year about the kickstart scheme, which was just about young people. But in this budget, they were talking about there's going to be a £3,000 incentive for every business that takes on an apprentice, irrespective of the age of that apprentice. And they're also talking about flexible apprenticeships where I think this is a sort of six or nine month scheme where people can do a short period of one employer and then move to another. So it gives them a chance to diversify their skill set. And I Obviously, all of that feeds into what your question is and is potentially a positive for people who do need to reskill. And we also know that maintaining skills is an absolutely critical criteria of of basically how likely you are to re-enter the labour market at some point in the future. But I think one thing that has concerned me a bit is that when the big Build Back Better plans were announced by the Prime Minister last year, a lot of them were about things like house building, road building, infrastructure... And I know that the government only has kind of limited tools into how much it can kind of directly stimulate work and jobs, but all of those sectors are quite male. I mean, they're sort of heavy duty roles and it is something actually through the Women and Work APPG that I have been raising that we must make sure that to the extent there is direct sort of stimulation of certain sectors to create jobs that they're not just all a hard hat and a high vis vest jobs and I do think that's
0: a fair thing for you to raise and I, I also am concerned that they are, uh, you know, we are we were expecting businesses to go, small businesses to become more digital. We are thinking about technology and all the businesses that we are talking to that are hugely optimistic uh, have been able to make that transition to a certain extent or are already in that sector. And that sometimes isn't uh, a sector that we encourage enough women to go into. Oh, I think
1: that's a really good point. I think I think the the I mean that there is work going on on that. That improvements have been made, but women in STEM and women in tech is you know I mean that that is a I can only really sort of probably echo others in in saying how important I think those drives are, but they are, and I think you know. I, I'm actually very optimistic, though, about the way that women, I think, will evolve into those workplaces. Because if you go back even a generation, it, you know, it would have been quite unlikely we'd have been having this conversation. There were far fewer women in politics, there were far fewer women in law or in journalism or in any of the things that we now think of as quite normal. So I don't think this is some sort of block where we're going to be for you know, the next 20 years complaining the fact that women don't really do tech or STEM. A lot's going on and a lot, a lot has changed in women's employment and will continue to do so. The only careers where I think women do tend to be kind of locked out are the more manual jobs, which I referred to in my previous answer. That, you know, when you get to building a road, I'm not sure that in 20 years' time we'll see there's tons of women lining the motorways, building smart motorways. I just don't, I still think that will remain male work. Um, but I think in, in tech and STEM, I agree we need to encourage more, we need to do more, but I think that the, all the progress is moving in the
0: right direction on that all of that needs to start much much younger don't you yeah it does but I think that you know I even see it in my
1: my children only at primary school and I see the way my my eldest daughter is eight and knows basic coding that to me is you know extraordinary and she has tried to explain it to me and I didn't understand her explanation so you know I feel quite positive about that and also her enthusiasm for doing computer club we not she doesn't do clubs at the moment because of obviously school but you know normally she's in a little computer club on a monday afternoon which is an add-on to school that she chooses to do and that's just stuff that wasn't really around for eight-year-olds when i was young and even probably you know even 20 years 10 15 years ago wouldn't have been so i am confident having children at the beginning of their education that that effort those efforts are being made
0: we also saw record numbers of women uh, setting up their own businesses going self-employed after not necessarily the 2008 recession but previous recessions um and there at one point there were more women setting up businesses than there were men i can't remember exactly what date but i would think somewhere around about the mid 90s to the 2000s Um, it will be a response of a lot of people who've lost their jobs this time around to want to become self-employed want to set up their own businesses perhaps they'll have had redundancy payments or perhaps they will see it as the only opportunity they have to carry on in the workforce um is there enough support do you think and i don't necessarily mean in terms of funding i mean in terms of because uh, i i quite often say i don't think that money is always what people need sometimes it's mentoring it's support it's Advice, it's, uh, you know, some place to go where you can talk to people about what's keeping you awake at three in the morning.
1: I think, okay, I think you've again raised a really, really good and important point. And there will be a number of factors why people, I think, why women might choose the option of setting up their own business, some of which I think you're correct, some of them will have a redundancy payment. Some of them will think it is a sort of more resilient long-term solution because they'll survive on their own product or whatever it is that they're making. And others, women are often sort of inclined to set up small businesses because of the inherent flexibility that comes with being your own boss. And obviously women with families, that can be something that's very attractive to them. We have to be honest about the fact that the situation or the the conditions make it more difficult for a women's business to really succeed. And one of the reasons for that is the disparity in investment into women's startup businesses. And when you look, again, it's a bit like the pensions gap. It doesn't, it's not something that's really reported on quite enough. We tend to just focus on the pay gap all the time. But it's, the pay gap is decreasing. But when you look at the amount of investment capital that a a woman led business will be able to raise against an equivalent male-led business it's really stark how difficult they find it to get going to make any sort of you know to get the kind of investment at the beginning that would allow them to grow exponentially and there does seem to be and i hate to say this but i i fear that latent in lots of people's minds is the idea of the kind of woman running a cottage industry from her kitchen table and it being somehow like a pet project rather than a serious contribution to the labor market and I'm not sure I have all the answers. Mentoring, you mentioned, and we know in lots of different models of work that mentoring is incredibly effective at getting people to sort of migrate through managerial systems, whether they're employed or not, or, or self employed. And I'm sure it would work in small businesses. But I think even the idea of the, of the woman as an entrepreneur is still something that remains a bit of an anathema and is something that hasn't really had enough focus and attention. And I do think actually. Um, you know whether there's a role for something like the cbi or i'm sure there are you know there are women's business groups whether they need to get more traction with the department of business base um as a way of of there being more networks for women to raise money at the start there or all the way through when they run their own businesses
0: um what was your reaction to the budget was there anything that you'd hoped for that wasn't there in relation to the issue
1: of women in the workplace, yes. So I think I, I probably am not kind of you know I'm not negative about the budget at all. I thought it was supportive to women in the workplace, and that's because I don't think the Treasury has all the answers on this. The work that we've done, and something I haven't mentioned yet, um, I don't think the Treasury, for example, can answer the issue of homeschooling and the pressures in the home. That's not a, that's not a question for Rishi Sunak. All he can do is give sectoral support. And I thought I talked about the restart grants and the support for the high street. A lot of those sectors do employ disproportionate numbers of women. Those That money, which is in the form of a grant rather than a loan, obviously massively important distinction, I think is a difference, as I said, between survival and not surviving, and there are jobs that depend on that. So from that point of view, from the sectoral point of view, I thought he did what he could. I thought he was generous, actually. The other thing, though, which is, again, not Treasury, its base, is around where, where I think we have seen some worrying trends in women's unemployment. Um, is around the employment status that the woman had going into the pandemic so people who were either doing things that had zero hours contracts, they were part time workers, they were an agency worker. When they had a precarious employment status through whatever mechanism going into the crisis, they were more likely than not to have lost their job that was less true of a full time permanent employee. So. there may be scope for, or I think there there is scope for Bay to look at that in the forthcoming employment bill. Do we have, I and mean, we have statutory protections for part time workers, but are they frequently enforced? Do employers respect them in the same way? I think there are issues around employment law in the first place that should build more resilience around people who take on different kinds of employment status. But it's not really something that the you know that's not a again it's not a question for the chancellor, and it's not something I was expecting to see dealt with in the budget. And it's not something I have to say that the All Women and Work. APPG has probably got all the answers on yet. I think we've identified the problem without fully understanding where the solution lies, and I hope you'll understand, Liz, that. And I know I, I co-chair it with Jess Phillips. I think she would agree with me on this. This, you know, we're sort of in a way we're at the beginning of our inquiry because we're still in the crisis. So we're looking at the first trends, and we don't have all the answers, but we are beginning to spot things. And I think we are. You know, I, I'm not going to try and credit us for too much, but I think we have been in some ways ahead of the curve in seeing as I said at the beginning it's not just all one note or one theme Um, and it's particularly important you know to to acknowledge that because a lot of women work in the public sector there has been a huge ring-fenced area of women's employment where the jobs haven't been lost Um, you know I have to acknowledge that because I'm often invited to say oh it's been a disaster
0: for women's employment not in every sector. No and I appreciate that Um, but from the work that you are doing um, what do you think the you know, the horizon scanning that you're doing, where are the next big issues?
1: Um, Well, the next big issue really is, the next big moment actually will come in September when all forms of government support come to an end. And that will be the moment that the tide goes out on the British labour market full stop. And it will become clear what the extent of redundancies is which sectors have not made it back onto their feet, um, which sectors are never going to make it back onto their feet, because we'll know by then whether the vaccine programme has basically worked and whether it can control the new variants or whether we're being deluged or whether we're going to permanently adapt our way of life. So I think, you know, those questions remain unanswered. But I I think it is probably true to say that while the income support schemes remain in place, and don't forget, they... support 13 million British workers either the furlough or the self-employed income support scheme it's not possible to properly diagnose the extent of unemployment because because some of it is being sustained that may not be there by the end of 2021
0: yes um and we absolutely agree with that we've been yeah. saying that right since the beginning until we see the shutters come off we won't know yeah. what is behind that
1: one um, thing i can say just just sort of got on that note i mean i look down my own high street and i look at the town center and like where my office is there are shops retail beauty um premises that have closed you know there's newspaper in the windows definitely not all definitely a minority definitely a minority um but the reason why I think the offering in the budget was generous to those kinds of premises, I think beauty, personal care, it gets called, but that means the beauty services, is in recognition of the fact that that is a sector that's been particularly hard hit. And if they hadn't had a big cash injection in the budget, I think that could have been very, very serious. And I can't say for sure, because I don't know the personal financial, the specific financial circumstances of each business. But some of those may continue to go you know of course and as i say i'm aware of businesses up and down this high street there's a few that are you know have, have gone in um in the course of the last sort of eight months
0: yeah there have also been an astonishing number opening up um you know and i think a lot of people have grasped this as an opportunity as well. And confidence is beginning to build from what we can hear. Businesses are telling us that they are more confident. What they've always longed for is some certainty. Um, And so it may be that the furlough scheme lasting for another five months will give them, to a certain extent, some of that certainty. But the theme for this year's International Women's Day is choose to challenge. And we know that there are a lot of challenges for women in work, in employment, in self-employment, in their own businesses. What should we be choosing to challenge for this next year as far as women and the workforce is concerned?
1: Well, my personal sort of campaign that I think is absolutely critical to the success of women in the workplace is that I want to see flexible working rights embedded in the new employment bill. Obviously, we already, already have the right to request flexible working, but there's a campaign called Flex for All, and I think that... It was in the Conservative Party's manifesto actually at the last election a commitment to consult on it that the possibility of all jobs being advertised as flexible from day one unless there's a very good reason why they can't be and of course there's going to be carve to that and I think the important thing I would just say while I'm on your pod- podcast is that flexibility doesn't just mean working from home and people often think it does because of the way the last year's played out but it can mean lots of other things adjusted hours or adjusted shift patterns um, a job share yes maybe working from home but obviously not on a full-time basis perhaps that could be one day a week but the idea that we can blend our the way we work and the way we live and that people can have more autonomy about the way they work and live is probably one of the best things to come out of the pandemic maybe one of the only good things and i want to see that embedded in statute and i think and I, i know because all the evidence shows that that makes a
0: massive difference to the recruitment and the retention of women in the workplace That has got to be feasible now. We've changed our way of thinking. We were requesting homeworking, flexible working, changes to working hours long before the pandemic. Suddenly it became possible. And the thing is also that, you know, I think
1: a lot of bosses were quite resistant to the idea because they associated it with something quite flaky. You know, she wants to work at home because she just wants to be with the kids and do nothing. But now we've seen, I mean, you know, there's all these issues about whether people have been fully productive, and probably they haven't, but that's because it's been forced and it's been sustained. But we've seen that it's perfectly possible to work from home for a day and and be on Zoom and conduct all your meetings and actually to work more efficiently, because you don't have the drudge of the commute and all the time that that can take. Um, You know, you can shave all of that off your day and actually have a much more productive seven or eight hours where you just get your work done. And we've all experienced that. And it's something to harness rather than forget about.
0: And well, I think that's a very positive note to end on. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Liz. I Laura really enjoyed talking MP. to you. Well, it's been, it's been really nice to talk to you and hopefully we will talk again. Yeah, Thank you very, very much indeed for joining us. Bye. Bye. <laughs>